Today, I want to sort of preach for half of the time, but knowing me, it'll probably be two-thirds of the time, and then I'm going to speak like the clappers to try and fit the last bit in at the end. We're going to preach a little bit about some kind of really interesting idea that Scripture has for us, and then get into some practical stuff about how our church works. Because the point of this series, the point of this Courageous Community series has been to set a bit of a charter for who we want to be, what we think our community should look like, what God has put into the fabric of this place. Um, And so where that is going to get us to is an idea that I've been finding fascinating in my own life and I've been sort of experimenting on myself with since sort of halfway through last year. Um, But let me just start by, I want you to feel some emotions. I want to try and get you to feel the emotions I'm, I'm going for here. So let me tell you a story. I have a bit of a condition. I'm like dreadfully optimistic about our country, like to the point that's not even helpful. Like it just makes me irritating and hard to relate to. I like, I remember years ago before someone told me this was a bad idea, preaching in defense of ESCOM. And people were just like, stop it. Like, people can't go with you on that stuff. Uh, like, I've had some of my best experiences at home affairs. Like, I love our country, and even the bureaucracy and rubbish doesn't make me love it any less. Uh, and the, all that notwithstanding, I had a tough day on Thursday. Um, I spent the whole day at Marion Hill Motor Licensing Department. Um, and even for someone as inexhaustibly optimistic and open to queuing for long lengths of time as me, um, it was hard. So, I mean, I got there at about 10.30, and by 3.30 had accomplished nothing and had to go home. And that's probably not the worst thing that's happened to anyone this week, probably not even in this room, but that sucked particularly because when I, that evening we had some people over, and they were like, you went to Marion Hill to renew your license. You know you could have done that at Cato Ridge. I, like, live at Cato Ridge. I drove away from there to go to Marion Hill to do nothing. It was like, stop speaking. Stop telling me that. Why are you telling me that? So the waste of time was itself a waste of time. Um, And if you can relate to that at all, or any sense of waste, I want you to get the feeling you have when you just seek dreadful waste. Uh, early on in the life of my little child who was burning through an inordinate number of nappies, which are quite expensive per nappy, actually, when you consider what you put in them. Like, and um, I just did the quick like, calculations. And, oh, I'm spending thousands of rands on these things. So just put poo in them and throw them away. Um, if you've ever... And I, I mean, I recommend you're sitting down while you do this. But if you calculate the amount you spend on coffee and petrol station food... Like, it's just not a good figure. It's not pretty when you realize just what you're wasting. Or um, how about this one? This one doesn't affect you, so you can just enjoy this one. There is a crop that is grown in North America that is the most expensive crop per square meter of all the different things that grow there. This stuff, in terms of what they spend on it and the equipment used to, to manage it, the pesticides sprayed, the herbicides sprayed, they water it almost exclusively with drinking water. And this stuff is no good for food. You can't eat it. It's called Kentucky or Bermuda lawn grass. It's lawns. We are spending more per square meter in the States, and I suspect actually here, on grass that you can walk on than we do on wheat that you can eat. That deserved a bit more of a response than it got. Um, That feeling of waste. Okay, so this one you're not going to enjoy, but I just did a little bit of Top Gear maths quickly. Um, The average vehicle in South Africa costs 300,000 rand, okay? Okay. 
I don't know if you've ever thought much about the depreciation of a vehicle that you own, but I'm just going to work on the figure of 300,000 rand. So a car loses 20% of its value in its first year, and 15% of its value every year after that, and in 10 years it's worth 10% of what it was worth when you bought it. Unless you were wise enough to buy a Land Rover Defender, which will be worth more. Um, then it, that, That's just a little nod to myself there. Go me. Um, it's one of the very, very few wise financial decisions I've ever made. Um, anyway, so let's just work with the 300,000 rand car. If you um, are going to try to quantify that depreciation, just what your car is costing you in depreciation every year, if you have a 300,000 rand car, um, per year it's losing 45,000 rand. So every month, 3,700 bucks, give or take, is just going in depreciation of what your car is worth. If you want to license that vehicle, if it's very small and light, then it only costs you 500 rand a year. If it's big and heavy and really wise like a Land Rover Defender, then it costs you 1,500 rand a year to license, so that's about 80 bucks a month if we just average the two. Um, the repayment, so if you got fleeced like most people on your trade-in and only got 100,000 for the car you traded in to buy your 300,000 rand car, then on your 200,000 rand debt, uh, your repayment every month's about 4,500 bucks, you'll end up paying 70,000 rand over the few years, the 60 months or so, for nothing. Um, let's assume, like Hippo was hard to understand, so I have no idea what your 300,000 rand car would cost to insure, because I don't know how well or badly you drive, but let's just put 1,000 bucks per month on insurance, 1,000 bucks per month on fuel, which I think is quite conservative. Maintenance, roughly four grand a year if you don't have to buy any spares, okay? Top Gear Maths, monthly, you are pay that car is costing you 9,700 rand, which means every day, considering that you drive it for like 15 minutes in one direction, and then 15 minutes in another, and it sits at your work and then sits at your home. Every single day you're paying 3, 375 bucks for the privilege of having that car. 375 bucks today for your car to sit out there, if it's a 300,000 rand car. Now, I get the cars are not just about getting places, it's the convenience, you get to express your personality through the stickers you put on the side and all that sort of stuff. But like, it's just worth recognizing we're spending quite a lot of money on this thing. It's maybe not the only way to go. Um, I am trying to get towards this idea that every rand you spend, in fact, every resource in your life, you have the choice to consume or invest. I may need to argue for this idea because I think you can probably get that on the money front, that every cent that you spend, let's not even do the whole all the money belongs to God and so in fact you're stewarding it on his behalf. That's true. That's a whole other idea. Even if for argument's sake it was just your money, you still have a choice to invest or consume every cent you spend, but I think that applies to every other resource in your life as well. This is the idea I've been experimenting with, that your, I mean, money is not actually that valuable compared to your time, is it? Or compared to your health, or compared to your relationships. Those are far more valuable than your cash. And I would argue that in every one of those spheres, every resource in your life, every good thing, you can either invest or consume. I'm defining consumption as using it up to get whatever value you can get out of that resource in the moment. And investment is to somehow use that resource in a way that's going to produce more fruit after you've used it. Even if it doesn't get you back more of the same thing, that it's going to keep producing some kind of wealth in your life, which means every moment of my attention, I can apply to something that will produce fruit for me or can just entertain me in that second. Right? 
the people that just led us in worship, they didn't wake up this morning realizing they knew how to play the drums or the piano or the guitar. They invested some time. <clears throat> Graham spent a long time just making his fingers bleed, trying to learn how to play chords. There was no enjoyment in the way he invested those moments to get to the point where he was able to strum, to then get to the point where he was able to strum and sing at the same time and not sound like an idiot, which I imagine would have taken a while, to then get to the point where he's able to make music that he enjoys, to then get to the point, continuing to invest, to be able to have the absolute joy of being able to lead other people in music. Your time, your attention, your attention, oh my goodness, it is so valuable. And every unit of attention I can either invest in a way that will cause a reward of some kind, a return of some kind, or I can just consume for whatever I get out of that moment. And that's okay. I mean, from time to time, if you want to just consume, consume. But what's important is that we know which one we're doing. And we're not counting a cost that we don't notice. Because when I tell you about a day spent at Marion Hill, you're like, yeah, that feels like waste. But when I tell you about a part of your life where you've just been consuming, not investing, and now you're lacking in some area, so often that doesn't feel like waste. It's like, it's not my fault. It's just who I am. It's circumstances. It's not my, you know, there's nothing I could have done. But perhaps that relationship would look different today had you been investing up till now. Perhaps that skill you'd feel much more confident in right now if you'd been investing in, in it up until this moment that there is waste going on all the time, but because it's sort of drawn out and long-term, we don't necessarily notice it. If I was standing up here trying to sell you life insurance or, um, no, if I was trying to sell you uh, like a retirement annuity, you know, I'd do that whole magical thing that they do where they tell you about compound interest and this, you know, person put 10 rand in a year and now this millionaire will never catch up with them and all that like smoke. <laughs> I don't know, it's true, apparently it's true, compound interest really works. But then the flip side of that is the person who didn't invest over time who then at the end of their life really regrets the wasted opportunity. What did I spend all that money on? Parents, what did you do with all your time before? You know, that's the question that we ask. And you don't feel the sting of the waste, and yet in fact we've been missing opportunities to invest because no one told us that it's consumption. I even have been applying this to food, that every food choice you make, is an everything you put in your body is an opportunity to invest in your well-being or just consume. And you can get very highbrow about this and super healthy, and, and that's reasonable. Your body is a, is a great asset of yours. But you don't just eat to nourish yourself. You do also eat for pleasure. There is part of that. So I mentioned um, petrol station food earlier. You know, Polo Pony, they don't just sell petrol there. I don't know if you've noticed. They sell a lot of other stuff there as well. It's very hard to leave the petrol station only having bought fuel. Um, their goal is to sell you something else that you didn't go there for. Uh, and at the end of a long day or whatever, I would like find myself in the shop at the Polo Pony. And was, I had a very patchy record. I was making quite bad decisions in that shop for a while. And then I was trying to apply this invest versus consume idea. And so then you walk into the shop going, okay, I have some money to spend and I have potentially the opportunity to put some stuff in my body. I can either just consume right now for whatever it satisfies in this moment, or I can try to think about an investment. Can I tell you what a difference that makes? Because now you're going, actually nothing here right now feels like it's going to produce any kind of long-term joy. Or if you're like me and I was trying to start slowly, I was like, well, I could buy the Rave Burger and feel sif later. But this little Lindor ball, even though they want to charge me 50 bucks for it or whatever, it's like... There's pleasure that this will, you know, I'll remember this Lindor ball, and you like make a special thing out of it. Now, I'm not trying to tell you you should eat Lindor balls, far, far from it. But the concept of investment versus consumption starts to influence every decision you make. And you go, okay, well, why do I want a vehicle? Do I just want to get from A to B? Do I want it to cause some joy in my life? Then really count the cost of how you're investing that way. Why do you want to have DSTV? Is it really in 
producing a return in your life, or is it just consumption? What, you know, the entertainment, time we spend, the people we populate our lives with, could they be investment versus consumption? I mentioned gossip a few weeks ago. Gossip is the classic, it's the ultimate version of relational consumption. In this moment, it feels great. We have this fake connection, we feel good about ourselves. It produces the opposite of fruit in your life. And so, so many of the things that God in his kindness is encouraging us towards, he's not saying, be good, be better, deny your desires, don't do the things you love. He's actually saying, let me just help you to get out of this consumption mindset that's making you sick, that's making you tired, that's leaving you poorer, and let me help you to have true wealth. Let me help you to invest your attention, your time, your energy, your relationships in ways that can actually give you some good stuff in the long run. That's how good your God is. That's what he's up to. And the Bible uses the phrase sowing and reaping to describe what I've just been uh, talking to you about. And this is a principle throughout Scripture. One of the most amazing places you'll spot it is in Galatians 6. Uh, So I'm going to read to you this idea quickly. This isn't some new thing that's just come out of a TED Talk. This has been in the Bible all along. Don't be misled. You can't mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. What God is saying is, not only is this just a principle in the way life works, sowing and reaping, planting and harvesting. He is committed to this process. He upholds this principle. If you think you can get away with sowing poorly and reaping well, that you can just keep on not paying your debts, not paying your debts, whether they're on the health front or the relational front or whatever, God is going, don't mock me. You get what you sow. I'm behind this. I'm enforcing this principle in the world. I'm driving it forward. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Let's just explain that line. That sounds big and scary and you don't need much in convincing. Bye, David. Bye. Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, you know, all of your kids are not allowed to do that. Only mine. Um, <laughs> you, you actually don't need convincing. Okay, so sin we defined a few, two weeks ago, and I'd really encourage you to go and listen to the sermon from two weeks ago because we go into this exact principle in quite a lot of detail. Uh, the one on the Holy Spirit. It's called, you know, a courageous community is a spirit-empowered community. Please find it on the podcast. But here's the idea, okay? Sin is any attempt to satisfy yourself outside of God. That's all it is. It's not a big, scary S word. It's just a way of describing all of our daft human tendencies to try to find satisfaction in ways that are consumption, not investment, in ways that leave us poor and broken. That's what sin is. God is so kind to you that he so desperately doesn't want you to do that stuff that's bad for you that he outlaws it and says, no, live a different way. I want to satisfy you. So you don't need convincing that when you lie, you produce death in your relationships. You already know this. When you cheat in your business, you lose customers. Sin causes death. It's just what it does. Even in the lives of Christians, sin produces decay around it. And so that's what Paul is saying. You know that if you satisfy your old way of thinking, your old corrupted default hardware that leads you towards that stuff, it causes death. But don't hear this as a threat. Hear this as a promise. Those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life. Life now, life forever. Life's great. We, we like life. Well, God's saying, well, if you want to have more of that, then I have given you my spirit to rewire you. The gospel is this great news. You've been forgiven of all the dumb sin stuff you used to do, but you're not now left alone to just try and be better on your own. He gives you the spirit. The very person of God comes into your life to help you figure out how to invest. Do I do this? Do I do that? What's going to be good for me? No, well, the spirit is going to empower you, lead you, guide you into the thing that's going to truly satisfy you. How good is God? 
You didn't deserve any of this. Forgives you for the bad stuff you've done. Shows you how to do stuff that's not just good, but good for you. We didn't deserve any of that from God, and yet that's what he does. And so Paul's saying, there's a, yeah, there's a risk to consumption, and there's a great promise to sowing to the Spirit, to investing in this relationship with God and learning how to trust him and follow his promptings. You'll harvest life, everlasting life. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Aha, okay, here's the big if. This is why we don't invest. This is why those people always have to tell us about compound interest and people who retired penniless. It's because there's a time lag between investment and reaping. And future Paul isn't the one holding the credit card. It's current Paul. And so any kind of investment, whether it's investing in your business, whether it's investing in your marriage, whether it's investing in your relationship with your kids, or in fact, more difficultly, is to have your kids in front of you and still keep investing in your marriage because one day those kids are going to be gone and then something needs to be left between you and your spouse. Whatever investment it is that you're choosing to do, there's this element of faith and patience where you have to trust that this is going to pay out in the long run and future you is going to thank current you for making a good decision. And that's what's so tricky about living this way because current me is the one feeling the needs right now. Current me is the one keen to be satisfied right now. And so current me needs to have the wisdom and the faith to trust that this decision is going to pan out better for me in the long run. And Paul's saying, well, it's no different with spiritual stuff, that you're going to have to have some faith and some patience that as you invest now, you will reap awesome rewards, life. And if you don't, you're going to reap death and decay. And you have those options, but there's a time lag between when you make the choice and when you start to feel the consequences. Don't be dumb. Don't trick yourself into thinking you're getting away with this. Don't trick yourself into thinking you're the one human on earth that this principle doesn't apply to. It applies to you. But there's a process that, of delayed gratification that we need to get our heads around. So we mustn't give up. Therefore, whenever you have the opportunity, this is a fascinating ending. We should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. That's a strange place for Paul to end. He starts out talking about these, this big idea of investing, sowing, and reaping. He's talking about how this has to do with your relationship with God. You can sow to the Spirit, or you can just do the self-destructive stuff you've always done. These feel like big, spiritual, philosophical concepts. And then his conclusion from all of this, what should we do? What should investment look like right now? Do good to the people in your church. That, that, that seems like that's not the obvious place that that should end. And yet what Paul is arguing here, I think, is that if you're going to invest in anything, one of the most important places you can invest is in your spiritual family. That investment isn't just for your soul, just for your bank balance, just for your health. Investment's also for your relationships. This concept of sowing and reaping absolutely applies to the community of faith that you find yourself in. And so if you're going to grasp the concept, then it should have some legs in the community you're in. That there should be some fruit in the relationships around you. You should do some things differently if you've got this idea. I wonder if you can just try to imagine right now what sowing and reaping actually looks like in relationships. I'm not a great parent. I I'm, I'm certainly would never hold myself up like, you know, do what I do. I'm so great. I've got this. I'm, you know, people talk about they have their first kid and then they suddenly experience this is how God must feel. I have a kid and I'm like, I'm so different from God. <laughs> oh my goodness. Because <laughs> I can't treat this kid the way God treats me. So, you know, there's no kind of look at me about this. But because I'm kind of aware that I'm not naturally going to be a really empathetic, 
attentive, patient parent. Um, I've been doing the parenting course since long before we even had a kid. Uh, and Danny Silk is the, the one who gives the instruction in the parenting course we run here. And he's got this whole thing about giving your kids choices. That trying to control your kid is just an illusion. You don't control your kid. You don't control what they think or what they want. There's a while when you can overpower them, and so you give yourself the illusion that you're in control, but you're not. <laughs> and so better to try and teach them how to control themselves from the get-go instead of controlling them the whole time and then having a big surprise when suddenly they can look you in the eyeball uh, and drive a car, and then it's like, oh, I actually never did control you. I'm sorry for trying. Okay? So that's the, his concept. So he speaks about this way of getting your kids to go places. Because, I mean, all parenting boils down to just trying to get your kids to go places. That's really what this is all about when they're small. Uh, and there was just this line that I just thought, well, that's simple enough. I can get hold of it. I can practice this. And it was, if you're trying to get your kid to come with you somewhere, give them the option. Do you want to go there on your own feet uh, or do you want daddy to carry you? Now, my child, I suppose like every child, is a full-on raging anarchistic independence maniac. Um, and so, come, come with me, David. Let's go somewhere. Well, where? Okay, good. No, then I want to go this way. <laughs> um, and instead of just picking him up, which would be so much quicker because I'm always late for stuff anyway, and so it would just be, I mean, it's such a pain to do the whole, you're on your feet, daddy carrying you on your feet, daddy carrying you. But I've just been investing in doing that, not controlling him, but just giving him options. And... Um, he doesn't enjoy being carried. And I also make a point of picking him up like a sack of potatoes and carrying him in a slightly uncomfortable way. And he's kicking and screaming, and he can't believe the injustice of it. And I'm going, I'm, I don't know why you chose this. I'm so sorry that you chose this. You could have gone on your feet. And uh, I've been doing this consistently for a while. So this week, I had the low moments at Marion Hill, but I had like the high moment of my life uh, the day later. We take him to have his haircut, and we go to a salon. I'm already feeling a little... Um, out of place in the salon and uh, David has his hair cut and now he's playing with the stuff on the shelf obviously taking the conditioners off and throwing them around and doing that sort of stuff um, and it's time to go and um, the, all the you know, salon residents the kind of people who hang out in those places are all watching what's going on and he's not keen to leave and so I pull this ace that I have in my back pocket I say hey do you want to go on your own feet or do you want daddy to carry you and like a miracle took place, like, like the Holy Spirit just worked and he, because he doesn't want to get carried like a sack of potatoes in front of all these cool people at the salon. And so out we walk and all these people in the salon are like, this man is the most amazing man we've ever seen. Oh, tell us what you know. Teach us what, where you taught, like learned it. And it was a really great experience. Um, like just head so huge. I nearly didn't get out the door. Um, now, what's gone on there is investment in a relationship has resulted in, in harvest. And once again, I'm not trying to hold that up as some kind of like, I'm a genius and I know I now need to tell you stories of my own failings for the next 10 weeks for balance. But I wonder if in your relationships, you consistently have that same opportunity. I'm going to choose to let you know that you've hurt me instead of just swallowing it and tolerating because I know that that produces a harvest of pain. But then I'm going to choose to forgive you even though it sucks and feel sore to give up on justice because I know that that's going to produce a harvest of peace. I'm going to choose to invest time in this person who initially doesn't seem like they've got much in common with me because I know that in time that can produce a harvest in them and me. They can grow, I can grow. I mean, the, the inverse of this is gossip, right? Gossip is the opposite of relational investment. Gossip is when you, for the sake of the hit in the moment of feeling fake connection to this person and good about yourself, you sow in a way that only ever produces death. And in this community, I wonder if Paul's saying, well, if you get the concept of sowing and reaping, 
then start to invest here in your spiritual family. Because if we're talking about future wealth, let's be honest, there is no greater wealth. There is no greater gift. There is, please believe me, nothing more genuinely valuable to you than a flourishing relationship with God. In this economy, in this fallen world, with these broken humans around you, in your failing body, if you don't have a flourishing, intimate relationship with God, life is going to suck. It's just a matter of time. And super connected to that idea is that then you're connected to His people. Because He places you in His people so that you can understand things about Him you'd never figure out by yourself. You would never figure out by yourself. Because He made them in His image, and He gifted them in unique ways. And so there's stuff you will just never know about God. You will remain ignorant of until you're around His people, and you see through this odd character who's different from you and has flaws that sometimes hurt you and failings that sometimes chafe against you, but they show you something about God that you could never have found for yourselves. If you want to have a flourishing relationship with God, and you should want that, then you need to be in a flourishing relationship with his people. And Paul's saying, that's not going to happen like this. That's not something you can just consume. That's going to take investment. And investors understand time, and investors take responsibility for the stuff they're investing in. I want to read you another passage to just add a little bit of detail to what investment looks like. It's from 2 Corinthians 9, just a few verses. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop that the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. If you don't invest, you won't harvest. If you don't sow, you won't reap. That's not rocket science. Radical, though, how many of us live thinking we will somehow reap even though we don't sow. That I will just one day know lots about God even though I never really spend time reading the Bible. That I'll one day just be able to lead someone to the Lord or use the gifts that are inside me, but at no point do I practice them in a small way and I'm prepared to fail. At one point, I will just have a, a soul that sings and a heart that feels connected to Him. But the worship music always sounds a little bit lame, so I always flick over to what Roger Good has to say. None of that stuff is evil in itself, but can you see that we consistently choose not to invest in some way? Our praying is just hard, but one day I'd love the idea of being able to really have a dynamic relationship with God where I hear from Him and He gets to hear my whole heart, but like, oh, praying right now just feels difficult. Please don't hear this as law. Hear the promise implied that if we choose to invest, there's life. If we don't invest, don't expect the life in that area. And then once you've chosen to invest, not consume, Figure out how much, because that's the other obvious point that Paul is seeing from farmers. The farmers who put lots of seed in the ground get lots of crops. And the farmers who put a few seeds in the ground get a few crops. And so I want to do this forgiveness thing. Okay, I think there's going to be a harvest in my life. But now, how far does forgiveness go? Well, I can forgive this person who annoyed me a little bit. I'm not quite brave enough yet to forgive that person. Okay, that's fine. There will be a small harvest, but perhaps you can build up some steam. I want to have a heart that's connected to God. Well... The context of what Paul's talking about here is money. And the reason he's talking about giving money is because of the thing that Jesus said. He said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's really helpful information if you're trying to lead your heart somewhere good for it. Because your heart left to its own devices tends to go somewhere bad for it. It Tends to hanker after stuff that doesn't satisfy it. So if I'm trying to lead my heart towards stuff that's good for it, it's really handy to know that money will get it there, that money is the very short leash I have to pull my heart in directions I want to get it. That's hugely helpful. 
And so if you're going, well, this investment thing, I want to invest in a relationship with God and I want to invest in a relationship with the community, well, figure out where your wallet is and know that that thing has got very short lead to your heart and it's a cool opportunity for you to get your heart somewhere healthy. And so Paul's saying, okay, well, maybe there's some giving involved. Maybe there's some faith steps that you're going to do some stuff with your money that forces you to trust God in new ways or do some stuff with your money that forces you to engage with this community in different ways because you're using it as an investment. I don't want to push that any further because I don't want this to sound like the greasy preacher trying to get money out of you. But this is a hugely helpful concept in Scripture. Perhaps it's not finances or forgiveness. Perhaps it's something else. The idea of getting to know these people that are in this community. And it's tricky to get to know them on a Sunday. But when it comes around to life group, Netflix looks so appealing in that moment. And you have an invest versus consume opportunity. Netflix might do something for me in this instant, but will produce no lasting fruit of any kind. This life group that I might get to go to, or Freedom in Christ course or whatever, couldn't seem more unappealing right now. But I'm going to go there and potentially have a great night, or potentially not have a great night, but know that five weeks from now, six weeks from now, there will be a harvest of life instead of just consumption that leaves a great big hole where those resources were before. Your time, your attention, your energy, your relationships, the things you put into your mind, the things you put into your body, the things you put into your calendar, every single one of these is you using this valuable resource and it can either produce a harvest for you or not. That's the idea. I want to spend a little bit of time now, just a few minutes, telling you as a group of potential investors what goes on here, what you potentially have an opportunity to get invested in. So this is going to feel a bit like family business. I'm just going to rattle off some info at you. Um, But I often hear from folks who are sort of new around here that they'd love to just know how this place works, who's who. Um, And so this seems like an opportune moment to do that. There are a bunch of ways that you can invest your time here, that you can get involved with your gifts and your talents. And I want to tell you about them. Um, Aside from life groups during the midweek, there are ministries that run. Uh, Worship is a classic one you've just uh, witnessed. And there are, so Burn, amongst other things, is is giving some leadership to that ministry. But there are all these incredible worship leaders. And Julie, who's on sound today, and JJ, who I always call a hobbit, and all these other amazing worship leaders that we have, um, they would love to help you get better at your instrument. Um, whatever that might be. Maybe you are just thinking, I've got a thing that I've just let get rusty. And the idea of being able to use it to glorify God and to bless people, yeah, I think I am going to invest some time in that over the next little while. They would love to help you. Um, One of the other ministries I can tell you about is coffee. I think a picture of a handsome young man is going to pop up behind me. Um, Like any uh, used car salesman, he looks a lot better than he runs at the moment. (laughs) Every joint in his body is inflamed. He couldn't drum today. Um, And so Luke at the last minute had to step in, amazingly. Um, Sia, among other things, runs the coffee ministry. The idea of coffee is that coffee is to Christians what beer is to everyone else. Uh, It makes them feel welcome and connected. Uh, And so we just want to be able to serve good enough coffee that people are able to hang out. Um, and Cecilia leads a bunch of guys who, and girls who've learned how to be good baristas. And if you want to get involved there, if you want to at some point go from being a consumer to an investor, that's a way to get stuck in. Just as a, I mean, I don't know if anyone here has ever contemplated owning shares in a restaurant, but I want you to have this thought. Like if you go to eat at a restaurant and you're just a customer, then if the service is bad, you just complain. If it's not how you hoped it would be, you just give it one star on Google and go somewhere else. If you're a shareholder in that restaurant and it's not going well, 
you get up from your plate, you go behind the scenes, you put an apron on, and you try and fix it because you're not only getting services out of that place, you also care how it goes. You take responsibility for how it goes. That's why I'm telling you about these things. At some point, if you want to benefit from the promise of Galatians 6, which is that if you invest, you'll harvest life, you might have to just put your apron on here and go, cool, I'm going to invest. I'm going to get stuck in. Coffee is one way you can do that. Kids is another way you can do that. See, while we've got his picture up there, leads the kids' church and all the amazing volunteers, that, amazing, amazing volunteers who are in that ministry. And if you have a child and you get to sit in church every Sunday, that's awesome. What a great gift. It probably makes sense at some point you should think, do I maybe get to invest in this once a month as well <laughs> to create that opportunity for other parents? Um, and you get great backup and great support, and it's not onerous. Uh, so kids is run by Sia. Then I've been wanting to introduce Shan properly to you. Shan's very pregnant. Shan runs our production, the look and feel of this place, our social media. She is in charge of the new website we are just about to have, praise Jesus, because the current one sucks. Um, and I would have introduced her to you right now because we've just poached her from Florida Road and her and her husband, Dill, are joining our community. But she's very pregnant and her child is already badly behaved um, before it's even in the world. So she's on bed rest, sadly. Um, but Shan's job is to, as I say, make everything about this experience, about the place and the sequence of things, um, a blessing to you and comfortable to you, which means that if you want to invest here and you've got an eye for detail or decor or you've noticed something about the way things go or you want to help her with content for the social posts, you get to chat to her and it'll be her great joy to tell you that your taste sucks and that she doesn't want any of your stuff um, or to say, great, thank you so much, here's how you can help. So she's someone I'd love this community to just wrap their arms around and, and serve in the area that she serves. Um, connected to that is Nick Fortman, who, with his wife Sarah, is often at the back there. He does all the tech. Uh, Jules is there today, and the, you get to drive the Death Star at the back there with all the things to push and lights to go on and off. And it's pretty easy once you get to know it. And if the way a place looks impacts how you feel, the way a pl- place sounds also really impacts the way you feel. And so what they're doing at the back there is leading worship as much as anyone up here, creating a sort of distraction-free opportunity for you to engage with God. Now, if you enjoy consuming those moments to engage with God, then there's a way to invest if you've got any kind of aptitude there, and they'd love to teach you, and it's loads of fun. Um, Part of behind the scenes every Sunday is connectors. The person who runs all the connectors teams is Carmen. Carmen, um, at the bottom behind me, if you can see her, has just joined the team as the person in charge of hospitality on Sundays. This is awesome. She also runs the care ministry. She's amazing. And so if you've got questions on a Sunday about how to get involved or what goes on, find her. Uh, And she's in charge of giving the connectors a great experience. And the connectors come, I think it's every six weeks, and they run a Sunday. So they're here early. They're setting up the chairs for you. They're resetting them in between the services. They're making sure that you're welcomed at the front, that the back area looks, this doesn't normally look like a church. The connectors make it look like a church. And then in the second service, they're out there eating lovely food that we've bought for them. They get to hang out with Trevor Middleton, which is a great pleasure because Trevor just turns up here every Sunday and serves on every connectors team and we can't boot him out and get rid of him like he's just always there, and being a friend of Trevor's is like the best gift I could give you. Uh, so joining Connectors team allows you to, to be in his circle and um, serve under what Carmen does, which is awesome, and Carmen also runs the care ministry. So the care ministry made 210 meals, I think it was, last year for people who and just delivered them, took them to their homes, just said, here, have supper, your church has sorted supper out, even if they're not even part of our church. Uh, that's my favorite thing about them. So if you've just had a baby, 
or you've just lost someone, or you've just had some kind of tragedy in your life, then the care ministry just wants to love on you and serve you. And there are people in our church who are in our church because the care ministry turned up at their door with meals for a few weeks before they even came here. And they were like, stop, you're weird. What are you doing? Uh, and then they end up in our church, and they end up serving and, and, and being blessed in some other way. So the care ministry is an incredible place. And they've got big plans. They want to give a gift to every single new mom who comes out of Hillcrest private or Hillcrest public hospital. There are all sorts of cool things for the care ministry to grow into if you wanted to get stuck in there. So go find Carmen, ask her how you can invest in that ministry, because they're having a a really glorious impact on our neighborhood. Um, Then Gav and Rowena Rich. Um, This is also the first couple I'm showing you who are part of the leadership team of our church. So Bible uses terms that we translate as elder or overseer. These are the people who carry spiritual authority uh, for you uh, before God, actually. Uh, and so they're, uh, they also run some stuff. Gav is the one who, whenever he's on the mic, he cries all the time, even if he's just trying to give announcements. Um, and and his, his main role, he, he is really passionate about building a prophetic, supernatural culture here. And so if you want to express your gifts in some way, or be part of the group that prays before the service to sort of sense what's up in the spiritual realm before every Sunday, uh, and they've got all sorts of other things when we need people to go and pray, um, or we're having a get-filled evening and we want to see people experience the gifts of the Spirit, Gav is heading up that whole sort of research and development arm of Christianity um, and that slightly more cutting edge unusual stuff Um, and then Rowena his wife runs the the ladies ministry so the ladies do events during the year and sometimes run a course and various things and so if you want to hear what's going on in either of those spaces you get to grab hold of them Um, then counseling. Uh, the Blairs, who are sitting, some of them, in the front here. Um, Sandra and Ross are like, if you want to know what a godly life looks like, you just go and meet them now that I've put terrible com- commentators curse on them. Um, but these are amazing, amazing people who understand investment. I think that's actually, when I think about Ross Blair, I think about a dude who understands investment in his life. Um, and, uh, and so they, Sandra runs counseling, if you want to learn how to counsel, i.e. if you want to become better at life and marriage particularly, uh, then those are amazing skills. And so she runs a counseling ministry and she can train you if you've, if you've got the aptitude. Uh, they're great to go to for that and they're also part of that leadership team. So so they are a couple who kind of carry the spiritual weight and responsibility for what goes on here. And um, the next person to talk to you about is Tora Tando. So you may know Taryn. Uh, you might have seen her up here. Taryn is married to Stu. Uh, Stu's, Stu tells a great story. Um, Taryn can also tell good stories, but she is just an amazing human being and has blessed so many people, and you, so Tolatando is a children's home uh, that in a small way we support, and we've had the privilege to get involved in, and Taryn spearheads that whole thing, and has got the place rebuilt, and the kitchen refitted, and plumbing sorted out, and kids connected to specialists when they need specialist treatment for medical things, and it's just remarkable what goes on, and what wouldn't happen were we not involved is horrible to think about. So uh, if you want to know what's going on in that social justice outreach arm, Taryn's your person. More generally, though, we also have We Are Durban, which is our church's NGO, which supports other NGO. Norm Dawkin is the next face you're going to see. He's on the board of We Are Durban and is in our congregation and would love to explain more to you if you ever want to connect into We Are Durban or you have questions, because essentially our city has amazing NGOs, enough passion and skill and divine calling that we could solve the homeless problem. We could solve all sorts of problems. Street children could be a thing of the past if those NGOs were really well run and resourced. But you know how it goes. Passion, desire, bleeding heart, no business acumen at all. 
that's how most people who run NGOs sound. And so what We Are Durban does is train them and upskill them and support them and then place professionals on the boards of those NGOs so that those NGOs can really make a sustainable difference. And when I say professionals, I just mean anyone who understands the business world, anyone who has a willing heart, anyone who has marketing skills or organizing skills or any kind of skills. Um, we can connect you into an NGO that desperately needs your help. And so We Are Durban is an amazing opportunity for some investment in our city at large. Norm is a guy you want to know. Norm is also my henchman in starting up this men's ministry. And he and a couple of other guys in our church are busy cooking up a mentorship program for businesses. Um, they are being well responsible about it, and so they're going to trial it a few times. They've gotten all legal and so on. Um, but it's worth going and chatting to Norm anyway, because what they're planning is that you'd be able to mentor a struggling business with whatever skills you have if you are in business uh, and come alongside someone and help them turn their business around. Those are the ministries that go on in our church, and those are the people, and there are just a few other faces to introduce to you who are part of that leadership team, the Reardons. Uh, you uh, may know the Reardons. They're nutcases, and they, worryingly for all of us, uh, are part of the leadership team of this church. Um, and so, yeah, gr- great to know them. They, they have committed themselves to caring for all of you and praying for you and being part of supporting this church. It's good to know who they are. The Galloways, Wayne and Kim, are also part of that leadership team. And then last but certainly not least, the Hayes, Greg and Michelle, huge sort of pillar of stability in our church. So these are the people who are involved here, who are leading stuff, who are responsible for stuff. And so if that helps at all. I mean, I hope that wasn't just loads of information. But if you're going, okay, I want to invest here. I want to commit to this. I want to sow. And these are the people that it's good for you to know. I think I'm out of time, but I wanted to tell you about our building project. I wanted to update you. So do you mind if I just take two minutes to tell you? Um, because we're in the process of raising money for a building. We have this dream to create a mixed-use space. I know maybe you've heard this, but if not, it bears repeating. Um, the country club, <clears throat> when it's not Midmar and the comrades or whatever it is today, uh, we're outgrowing this place. Certainly our kids are outgrowing this place. And we want a space that feels a bit more like who we are. So. We're looking in the sort of center of town in, in an area where, to whatever extent, Hillcrest and Cleef has a n- nightlife. There is a bit of nightlife where there's a bit of vibe. Um, we want to create a mixed-use space where there's some tertiary education, um, so that there's some students in this neighborhood, because at the moment there's nothing for students, where there's some great retail space with some carefully selected retailers, where there's some meeting space, restaurants, coffee shops, shared workspace type stuff, where there's commercial space, so that some office space is available for rent, and where there's this auditorium that we do church in, but we also very deliberately make sure that public debates are happening there and gigs are happening there and schools can come and do performances there. And then finally, that the kids' church that we build is a crash that runs during the week. So there are like 15 different reasons why you would be on this property at any given time without having to be a churchy person at all. It should just feel like the heart and soul of the community. Uh, and so to pull that off, we have been looking at various properties, and last year we started raising money, and you guys as a church have already got a million rand in the bank, people just being faithful and sowing and investing, which is incredible. So we're ready to pull the trigger. Um, we were looking at a piece of land that would require us to build on it. Everything went swimmingly up until the point where we actually it was going to be too expensive, and building is expensive, and it just didn't seem like a wise move to go to that piece of land, because existing buildings are much cheaper, supposedly. The people who know stuff tell me this. Uh, and so the building committee has gone, no, we, we need to find a place that we can renovate, which is great news, because it'll be much quicker. The awkward thing is I'm standing here saying, as of the second, I can't tell you exactly where we're going. Um, the criteria are really making us sort of zoom in on one or two options. So shortly I'll be able to tell you, I think. Uh, but in the process, we've ended up in, uh, in a work 
working relationship with an amazing development firm called The Good Company. Uh, Google them, they're very interesting, and they do this. They take sites and turn them into mixed-use spaces, very much like what we've been dreaming of. Uh, and they would be the main investors, which is great, because we were looking for a big investor. And they would also take most of the risk. And so, yeah, go and see what they've done in Woodstock and Cape Town and other places. They're super aligned with what we want. Um, and they're really passionate to build to our specs exactly this thing that we have in mind, um, which is amazing. So this is much closer to happening than it's ever been, because we've got all this full-on professional operation who are working hand-in-hand hand with us. We've got a few tenants already signed up, so it's all like we're ready to pull the trigger, and it's just exactly which spot we're trying to trust that God in the right moment is going to help us to see exactly what it is. But if you have more questions, I'd love you to ask me if you're wanting to contribute to that, or you think God is calling you to contribute to that, I'd love you to chat to me, but that's where we're at. We are in every way like ready, and we're just trying to figure out which property to get hold of and, and to renovate instead of building from scratch. So that's where we're at. I, I wanted to... No, I won't waste your time. Um, we, we are ultimately trying to impact this city, aren't we? We're ultimately trying to make Jesus famous and to be in a community that connects with him and that connects with one another and looks like the church in the beginning, in Acts 2, used to look. And so I'm going to pray for that and then we're going to go and have some coffee. Uh, God, there's been a whole lot of information in this. But I pray that your Holy Spirit has been working and that in whatever area of our lives, relational, spiritual, financial, time-wise, whatever area of our lives we have been in consumption mode and have been evaporating up the resources of our lives, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just call us, just haul us, just pull us into a sowing and reaping way of living. That the folks sitting here this morning you brought them here on purpose. You had an intention behind them being here. And you are calling them into something far better for their lives, something that will create fruit and wealth and satisfaction for them. And we all want that, Jesus. So I pray that you, by your Spirit, do whatever it is that you want to do in us. And then turn us, God, into a community that creates life and beauty all around it. In the physical place we get to build, in the stuff we do in the fabric of society that you would create a flood of life out of these people's lives into the world that they are taking responsibility for. Thank you, God, that you can do this. Amen.